When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble. It is the day after Forest have uh, had a win away at Coventry, uh, breaking a cycle that had lasted for over a year. Um, but also it's uh, just after the end of the January transfer window. So we've got a lot to talk about. Um, so we're joined by Stephen Topless. Hi there, Stephen. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good. Thank you. And Tom Newton. How are you, Tom? Yeah, I'm really good. Thank you. And we are delighted to announce our special loan signing. We've taken a photo of him wearing the shirt with a pen in his hand. Uh, it's George Harby. How are you doing, George? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me back on. No, it's a pleasure. So uh, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, George is a Nottingham-based football journalist and you've spent quite a lot of time following Forrest this season, including being at last night's match. So if we start there... Obviously, it was a 2-1 victory for Forrest, George, and the first half performance in particular was pretty good. But obviously, it started off with Forrest going behind. So uh, talk us through that half and, and what it looked like from a red perspective. Yeah, it was a funny one because I think it was only two minutes on the clock where Christie gets down the line and puts a brilliant cross in, which is quite rare for him, really. And Grabbin's about an inch away from his converting at the back stick. And you start to think, oh, this could be a a good night and then lo and behold Christy goes and does a tiny little slip and it allows that Biamu to, to drive inside and find the bottom corner and then you're thinking oh here we go and we've seen it before at you know, Stoke and you know, other games away games far too many um, where Forrest have gone on goal down and just think here we go but the response was absolutely fantastic obviously um, great pull by Warrell to pick out Amiobi on the flank and Grabman can hardly miss from there typical Grabman finish and I thought personally Forrest should have probably gone into the break winning. Um, you know, they had a lot of good balls into the box and I think they had a flurry of corners. I think they had three corners in about two minutes where Coventry just couldn't get their act together and just couldn't clear the ball at all. And obviously they used that momentum in the second half and were worthy winners in the end, I thought. Okay. Was it, I mean, it seemed a bit hairy in those last sort of 10, 10 minutes plus stoppage time, didn't it? And of course, we've um, you have just tweeted, um, retweeted the news that uh, Bakayoko is out of hospital. So fingers crossed that he will make a decent recovery after what looked like a nasty injury. It meant that the uh, stoppage time went on for quite a while, though, didn't it? And uh, did Forrest look as if they were rattled by that? Or did they actually seem quite assured, even though they were under the cosh? Um it's a, it's a good question. I think, I know it's easy to say now, but I think the, Coventry were always going to pepper the box last 10 minutes and Forrest were always going to have the backs to the wall and I think the substitutions kind of hinted at that. I thought the right back of Kevin for Coventry, the Costa at half-time, he was a really good introduction and I think he was probably their main attacking outlet. But I think Hewton deserves credit also for bringing on Tyler Blackett because Freeman was struggling a bit and it almost meant that the switch to a back five and Blackett and Bong um, both doubled up on that Costa And... I think Joe Warrell was absolutely immense. And I don't think, as I said, it's easy to say now, I don't think, even though Coventry put the balls in the box a, a lot, Forrest never looked like conceding. And that's down to Warrell, who just seemed to win absolutely everything in the air. Uh, Brees Samba was just commanding as ever. Just that one-handed catch he did, I don't actually see that, but I was just, 
it just sums him up. And no, and I, of course, it's always nervy because and it could take a, a slip, it could take a, a touch off the backside, and you, you concede. But I think for the large part, Forrest did not look like conceding in the last 10 minutes. And, you know, they deserve credit because it was about, I think I counted eight minutes that goalkeeper was, uh, sorry, not goalkeeper, that Bakioku was on the floor. So they had to keep the call in that and keep their heads, and they did. So fair play. Mm. And you mentioned Cyrus Christie. So he put in, uh, put in a cross early on and uh, it could have led to a goal. He put it across in the second half and it, it did lead to a goal, albeit a rather spectacular finish by the Coventry defender into his own top corner. Yeah, Grabham would have been pleased with that finish. Um, but again, he was lurking as well. So, no, you know, Christie's uh, come under fire a lot this season on, on social media. Um, you know, his, people have been moaning about his deliveries and not beating the first man. But last night, it was really on the money. Um, as you said, the cross for the second goal was a good move as well. I think Kravinovic battled well to, to ride two challenges and uh, win the ball back. And Garner played a good ball out to knock out and... You know, the move uh, carries on from there. And yeah, great cross. Defender didn't really have any option to put it in because Grabham probably would have nicked it in the back post. So yeah, delighted for him. Um, and it's it's about time, really. Mm. Um, Tom, you were quite excited by uh, by James Garner in the middle of the park, weren't you? Yeah, I thought he um, started the game really well on the front foot, looking for the forward pass. And I think that's what's been like, um, lacking in our midfield this season. Somebody to just get the foot on the ball and um, and play it forward, you see, because um, I've said in the previous podcast that I don't think we're quick enough with the ball, and I think it was like a nice uh, surprise that he's actually got somebody who we didn't really know much about, uh, but he's coming to the side, and um, yeah, he's um, had a decent debut, and hopefully he can replicate that in the uh, coming months um, until the end of the season. So yeah, a, a good debut for, for James Garner, and uh... Also added to that, we've got Kravinovic in the middle of the park, who isn't a natural number 10 necessarily. But uh, Tom, those two players combined add a sort of a lightness of feet and, and add a little bit of swiftness in the midfield that we've been lacking all season. Would you agree? Yeah, it's been uh, massively lacking this season and, um, and we looked a lot better for it. So hopefully um, they will get even better and hopefully we can pull away from that turn bottom three because... Um, like I said, it was just a matter of like we need we can't get, we get sucked into it. I, I just think that people might think, well, we're better. Um, we should be high up the table and start to feel sorry for ourselves. So we need to like start um, kicking on now and obviously pulling away from the bottom three because we have got the players there, but mm. we just need to replicate it week in week out. Okay, uh, Stephen, you're famously the most optimistic of the, of our podcast group. Um, <laughs> How do you feel the table looks now? Do you feel a little bit happier? Yeah, I think it was important to to pick up that win, particularly given that Rotherham had picked up form recently and sort of closed the gap on us. And Sheffield Wednesday as well picked up um, a good result. So for us, it's just a case now of just keep doing what we need to do to to move away from the bottom three and hopefully we can put together another mini run and, and pull ourselves even further away just to, I suppose, just to give ourselves some breathing space. Um, in previous years, when, we, when we've been in this position, we've maybe won a couple of games and then lost a couple again. And then that's how we ended up with like 2017 with a final day needing to win to stay up. And it's, it's all, you know, it's all nervy and we don't, throughout the course of the 90 minutes, it, we're up, we're down, and we don't know what's going on. So hopefully we, do, we don't end up in that kind of situation again where it's going down to the wire. I think we've got the quality, as we've touched on with Kravinovic and Garner in the midfield, to, uh, to, to control games better and hopefully pick up more positive results. And uh, just to be, uh, you know... Be a pessimist here, Stephen. Um, what you've basically said is that it will be a success if we just avoid relegation this season. Given the the bad form we've we've shown, and given the fact we changed managers, I think staying in the division and looking to build for next season is the most important thing. I think if we can go on a late run and we get ourselves into mid-table, brilliant. And, who knows? But it's going to take it's going to take an incredible run to to even think about getting in the playoffs or anywhere near that. So I think all we can focus on for the time being is getting the results to sustain the division and hopefully 
we get ourselves safe sooner rather than later. George, coming to you, uh, one of the things that's been notable is that we had that terrible run where we were playing the top six and we had that terrible run of defeats. Then we had a decent run where we were playing teams who were, well, lower than the top six. Um, and then we had a couple of defeats um, in the Cup and against Middlesbrough, which kind of derailed the momentum. So um, Chris Hewton himself said that, uh, you know, in some ways we were lucky not to drop further down the table when we were losing and we were unlucky not to go further up the table when we were getting good results. Um, now, he's a very steady character, isn't he? And when you've been covering the press conferences and everything and all of that, I mean, does he give much away? Do, do, do you sense much frustration in the lack of progress that he's seen having taken over only a few weeks into the season? I think if he was the youngest person in the world, you wouldn't realise. Um, <laughs> I think he's the... Uh, and a lot was said before he um, came to Forest. He was the nicest person, manager there is, and he is. He never likes to get too high when Forest pick up good results. He never likes to get too low whenever you know the results are lacking, like you said, in them defeats to Norwich, Reading, um, Swansea, etc. So, um, no, you're, you're right in what you're saying. I mean, I think it was a seven-game unbeaten run in the league, was it? Um, when they went to Preston, I think... Uh, looking back, they didn't win too many games in that in that unbeaten run. They drew a couple and they were unlucky. I know you say seven unbeaten, but weren't picking up too many wins in that time. And that's probably why they still find themselves down there in some respects and not really increase the gap. But um, at the same time, we've also been fortunate the likes of um, you know Sheffield Wednesday and, and Derby have been lacking consistency at times. Obviously, um, Sheffield Wednesday picked up a good win last night. Um, Derby might get a bit of a bounce now because they've made a couple of, well, quite a few signings on deadline day. They're playing, obviously, Rotherham, as we speak. I think that's nil-nil at the minute. So, um, But no, I really like Chris Hewton. I, I think he's a very, as you said, a very calm head. He never likes to get carried away. And I think he will be encouraged by last night because it was the first time we really saw his signings and his kind of imprint on the team because he's been picking up the pieces since he came here, really. Do you think that um, despite that's very kind of some fans get a bit get a bit frustrated, don't they? Because they want to see him being more angry. They want to see him being more animated. You know, they want to see him being a bit higher when they win and a bit lower when they lose. Because I guess as fans, we want to see the same emotions that we feel. But do you think that that steady exterior belies somebody who can probably throw a few teacups in the dressing room? I think so, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've seen him in some um, situations where I think he has, he does look quite angry, but he just shows it really well. Um, obviously, we've seen quite a, uh, an animated figure in Sabri Lamucci last season. You see all the, the, the gifts on Twitter of him dancing and him, you know. And I'm sure, to be fair, if, if fans were in as well, I'm, I've, I probably think we'd see more of that side of Hewton, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I don't think at the minute he's got the connection with fans for obvious reasons and it's somewhat hard to relate to him in some ways. And obviously I'm at the game, so I can relate to him in some ways, but when you're looking as a fan through I follow um, or, or telly, it's, it's kind of hard to relate to him in them ways. But um, no, I, I do think you could get angry. I mean, you don't, you don't be a success at this level if you don't know how to get a tune out of your dressing room. And I'm, a, I'm pretty sure along the way when he got promoted with Newcastle and Brighton, I'm sure it wasn't all plain sailing then. And they make sure you wonder what he he, do, he did in that time to to uh, to pick things up and and guide them to the Premier League. Okay, uh, that uh, brings us on to the fact that obviously we have had some players who've been underperforming. And I was in a conversation with Second Tier Podcast at the weekend, and I mentioned to them uh, that there are a couple of players who have been consistently performing below the level that we know they can, but seem to still be. In still be getting picked and the obvious one is Tobias Figueiredo although he's done well in the last couple of matches the other one is Lewis Graben and this is what I had to say it has to be said I don't understand why Graben is an automatic name on the team sheet you look at the way that he approached that one-on-one when clean through yesterday um, he just never really looked like scoring. You look at the fact he kept stayed in an offside position when um, Knockart put him through. Now, should Knockart have shot himself? Yeah, he probably should. But should Graben have stayed onside? Yeah, of course he should. And Graben's body language has been a problem throughout his career. And it doesn't look great when he's the captain and he hasn't scored 
a goal for, in open play for about six months. What's interesting there, Stephen, is that Hewton has stuck with Graben as the captain. He's also stuck with him throughout a horrendous run of form that only ended last night. And I'm not going to count that penalty at Preston because, firstly, he was really lucky. And secondly, I think a lot of refs would have disallowed it. Um, and thirdly, I really don't think he should be taking the penalties for Forrest <laughs> because he's, not, he's got a pretty streaky record, hasn't he? Um, but... The selection of Graben, for example, shows that Hewton is somebody who wants to play on a level, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's. I think there's, there's a couple of reasons behind it. One, he's a senior figure in the dressing room and he's got the experience. And he's the kind of player, really, for his experience you want in this position that Forrest find themselves in. He is a goal scorer still, despite the, the, his form not quite being there for a little while. And he's obviously got that experience of this league, but also the fact that when he does start scoring, he generally scores in spurts. So there's every chance now he could score in the next six or seven games in a row. And he's a streaky goal scorer in that, in that regard. So that's now that he's got that goal, that's hopefully now where, where Houston sees him really playing a part. And then, he's got the experience of Glenn Murray to come in and offer something different. But I think as the starting striker, it's Graben. And you saw him back to his, a bit of his old self last night, the way he was running the channels, chasing the ball down, and, and generally was a mobile threat throughout the game. Mm. Now, Tom, you're a hot-on-sleeve kind of guy. And like the rest of us, you were pretty appalled when you saw that Graben ducked out of that header away at Stoke but then just as much as that the thing that people were fo focusing upon was that he didn't he his emotions do not come out positively through his body language and his his demeanor do they and so you know you had Worrell yelling at at his senior player at his captain for for ducking out of the header and, and Graben seemed to be going away saying well, what could I do um, now since then so last night he scored a goal. He could have had more. He's had a few clearances off the line. I guess he wouldn't get away without heading the ball off the line after what happened at Stoke. Do you think there's a sign that maybe um, Graben has probably had a bit of a kick up the arse, um, either from his teammates or by the manager, and that has seen that slight upturn that's led to him finally scoring in open play? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's a bit of both, really. I think, obviously, um, he had the earful from that one... Um, a couple of months ago at Stoke, then um, Hewton looks like he's put an arm around him and says, you're num my number one strike and just instilled a bit of confidence in him because I think if he's if he's not getting the chances, he's not getting the goals, then his uh, confidence is going to wane. So it looks like he's um, had Hewton just say, look, you're my number one striker and just keep do uh, doing the things what I want you to do. And like um, you mentioned in the pod, is that um, he was back to his old self and hopefully he can carry that on until uh, the end of the season and uh, hopefully get on the uh, goal scoring uh, trail once again because we know he's capable. It's just a matter of obviously being more consistent and if he's consistent, we've got more ch um, chance of obviously uh, moving from the bottom three. And uh, George, uh, you know, obviously Graben's now on his what fourth manager <laughs> in his three and a bit years at Forest. Um, one thing that was really noticeable was that Karanka in particular, and especially Sabri, they made a point of making Graben feel like he was top dog, didn't they? They really did. First name on the team sheet. They wanted him to feel loved. Obviously, anyone who's seen that Sunderland documentary knows that he's a classic striker. Strikers need to feel like they are number one. They need to feel like they're loved. And Graben seemed like a great example of that. So do you think it's as simple as that? I believe so. I think he's a confidence player. I think a lot of strikers are, to be honest. I think, if I remember rightly, obviously Forrest paid a lot of money to Bournemouth for him. I think he's about £6 million, and rightfully so, because his goal record and his vision is brilliant. Um, but under Karanka, it took him a little while to, to to start scoring. I think it might have took him the first six games or five, six games to, to find the net. And after that, he couldn't stop scoring. And obviously last season, um, he got that goal at Leeds and then went on the run and just first I think it was the first strike since David Johnson to, to get 20 goals or Marlon Air would have won the two but um, no I, I've seen a Sunderland documentary but I think yeah as I said any striker is a, is a confidence player and you know when the, the chips are down and the service isn't quite there and you're 
watching teams dominate and you're pressing up top on your own and you're running your socks off and nothing's paying off. Of course, your head's going to drop. And I think last season, he didn't have that competition. He had Rafa Mir, who was quite frankly dreadful. And then Tyler Walker, and when Tyler Walker did come back, he was scoring regularly. Um, but this season, obviously, he's had a tricky spell of injuries, uh, that hip injury he had. And obviously, Lyle Taylor in that absence was brilliant. But I think, as as Tom said, I think Chris Hutton probably has put an arm around him now after his injury. That goal, the first game after the, the injury against Sheffield Wednesday, probably would have done the world of good. Um, and if you if you can play to his strengths, he'll score hatful of goals in this vision. He's done it in the last two seasons. So let's just hope now that um, he can continue putting an arm around him and he can go on a bit of a run now because it benefits everyone when he does. Mm-hmm. And Stephen mentioned Glenn Murray. Do you get any impression, uh, George, that... Uh... Signing another senior striker, you know, there's a difference between signing, you know, a 30 year old established striker in Lyle Taylor and signing a 37 year old established striker in Glenn Murray, isn't there? So, do you think that could be a positive pressure for, for Lewis Graben? I think it's positive for Lewis Graben. I don't think it's positive for Lyle Taylor. I must be, I must admit, I don't, I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why Hewton probably hasn't given Taylor more running games since Graben's been back, but we have to be seen. But no, but I think it was always going to be inevitable that he was going to bring in Murray because he's like his son, really. He's <laughs> done brilliant under him before. Um, he's, he, more, I think more importantly, he's a player, and we'll touch on transfers in a minute, but he's a player who he trusts. And I think in this predicament Forest find themselves in, you need players or he needs players who he can trust. He knows he can get the best out of. I think he scored... 52 goals in 120-odd games under Hewton in his career, Murray has. So, um, but no, as I said, any striker, any any good team who wants to succeed at this level in particular, you need competition. And as I said, Graben didn't have that last season. And I think it can it can affect players in different ways. But I, can, I get the feeling that Graben is, thrives on pressure. Um, so hopefully Murray can give him the kick up, proverbial kick up the backside and um, it, works, it works for everyone, really. Okay. I mean, Tom, I think um, we know that Glenn Murray's not necessarily going to start that many matches as a 37-year-old in the Championship, um, particularly given how how concentrated the matches are. Um, are you surprised that Lyle Taylor hasn't maybe had more chances, bearing in mind Graben's, you know, wretched run of form? Um, I am a bit, but when he has played, he's like, he hasn't scored because he hasn't had the service. And that's not really Lyle Taylor's fault. And it's just like Graben's, he's got a couple of penalties down the way and things like that. And he was going on from his record from the previous uh, few seasons. So, yeah, I am surprised um, because when we played Charlton last season, Lyle Taylor seemed to be the best striker what played at the city ground against us. And uh, But yeah, I'm just a bit surprised that he has had uh, more chances. If you're Lyle Taylor, are you a bit miffed? Probably. Um, strikers want to be on the pitch and they want to be scoring goals and Taylor doesn't strike me as a player who doesn't believe in his own ability. He's a very confident guy and obviously very well spoken. We we hear it, the confidence that he has uh, when, he, when he's talking in interviews. Um, I think it is a case of maybe service. The, the team was misfiring for a while with creativity and taking chances and Taylor wasn't the only one guilty of that. And I do wonder now, given that we've added a bit more creativity in the midfield and it seems like the midfield and attack are linking up better. I'd be interested to see how Taylor gets on with the likes of Kravinovic behind him and even Garner as well, players who are playing the ball forward through midfield and looking to play more attacking football. Yeah. Um, And, you know, on that issue of service, of course, Glenn Murray is... Like all strikers, he needs a service. He and and this is one of the topics that I covered in my conversation with uh, Brighton fan Rick Loosemore. Now uh, we heard from Rick earlier in the season when Chris Hutton was appointed as the manager. So we do talk about Chris Hutton in a few minutes. But first of all, we talk about Glenn Murray and what he can bring, and is he the kind of player who can add goals to a Forest team? Um, the man just knows how to score, and you know he he must be doing something right because he's. He's older than me. I don't think he's he's not quite as old as you, is he? But he's he's certainly older than me, and he's still scoring goals. Um, and he he's never going to score outside of the box. He's probably not even going to score outside the penalty box, um, but uh, uh, or the six yard box. But he is 
just going to get in the right places and uh, just finish it in, in the right ways. Um, he's he's smart enough to know that he's not, uh, you know, got the legs on anyone, uh, but he knows his position and he knows um, he's just got a range of shooting ability uh, that that um, I don't I, I don't think I've ever seen at Brighton, certainly watching anyone play. Um yeah, he's just got a lot more guile, and yeah, I quite would quite would have quite liked him to to stick around actually, and well, be recalled to us, and because um, it's not like we're scoring loads of goals at Brighton at the moment, is it? Well, thanks for the reminder about my age, Rick. Uh, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean it's true. Uh, Murray is a goal scorer. Um, however, we also thought that we had a goal scorer in Lewis Graben, and he's having a terrible time. Um, However, if you look historically at Graben's record, he is a goal scorer who tends to be very streaky. He'll have a few matches where he won't score and then he'll have a few matches where he'll score quite a few. I get the impression that Murray's a bit more consistent than that. I also get the impression that that idea of him being, you know, a big lunk target man is actually not true. So tell us a bit more about his goal scoring record and, you know, Prove to us that he's got a bit of guile. He isn't just a massive number nine. Yeah, he often got pinned as uh, as a number nine, and I was I did find that a bit odd because I never thought you know he's not he's not particularly tall. I think he's six one, maybe just six foot. He's not, which isn't short by any means, you know. But he's not, you know, he's not Andy Carroll. He's not your standard um, hoof it up and he'll knock it down sort of player. Um, so he. Yeah, I, I always found it odd that he was called a number nine, but he's he is because he's not a number ten, I guess. You know, he's not he's not pacey, he's not tricky, um, he's not a playmaker, but he's on the end of goals. And I think um, oh, I'm trying to think of a good examples of guile. I mean, the one that sticks in my mind is is when we played United, and he um, he scored a goal, and it was just one of those where you know you're just running across the back of the defender. Um, all you need to do is get a touch on it, but he had to beat the keeper as well. And and he just, he had enough composure at that moment uh, to have timed his run, uh, to, to have knowledge of where the defender was and run across the keeper and then flick it on the outside of his boot around the keeper. And it's just, the finish was sublime as well. And you think, well, you know, a lot of the time, and Graben's a good example. He's, you know, he's got a bit of pace, he's got a bit of power and uh, he can make those late runs into the box and finish. Murray, it's not so much about the late runs. It's about when he's in that position, which he will get into, his choice of, of shot will be it will be good. And you, you ask about his, um, uh, you know, uh, consistency. I don't think there's a striker in the world that hasn't had a dry patch. And and uh, but yeah, he's not he's not boom and bust as it were. But um, yeah, he also it will vary uh, depending on how. Um, Hutton will set up and um, all the way through the championship we played 4-4-2 and then in the Premier League we played 4-4-1-1 with um, Pascal Gross in the uh, uh, supporting striker attacking midfielder sort of role so it really depends how it is I wouldn't necessarily say that he is a um, you know go back to Andy Carroll you know setting up other people just by his knockdowns and his presence he can do that it's not so much that though that he'll be in the box waiting for it and then lay it off for someone to shoot. It's more that he'll be just outside of the box as an out, ready to receive the ball, hold it up. He's got enough, you know, he's got enough presence. He's big enough, but he's also again smart enough to know how to to just um, keep a keep a defender at bay um, while he then um, uh, yeah uh, waits waits for players to run on. So that probably be more his game. So he doesn't have loads of assists in him particularly, um, but he, he's he's a good link-up player. Do you think that Murray is going to take over Graben's place in the team, or do you think he's going to play alongside him? I think Hooten's pragmatic enough to to do either. Um, yeah, I I think I'd probably say he he would replace Graben again because I don't think if you if you did sign and again an Andy Carroll or something like that, you know, big lump. Um, you probably would say, yeah, Graben would play nicely off him. I think what Glenn needs is is not so much, um, you know, someone to to pick up the runs that he knocks down to, um, but a playmaker behind him if he is playing uh, in that that one one, you know, gross behind him. Um, but yeah, it's it's not impossible. Um, if if yeah, that is the thing. I think service is a great 
question because I remember uh, when when Glenn came in just at the back end of our, our tenure in the in the championship, and you thought, oh, what's he doing here? Is he going to do it well? And you've always got the question of, you know, do you go back? And he'd been good with us, and then he signed for Palace, which was bad um, <laughs> black mark against him. He since redeemed himself. He did, you know, break the uh, the rule of don't go back because he did do really really well. But what I loved about him seeing him was he was shouting at the wingers put it here, do it here. And he's not, he's not a, you know, mouthy sort of person. He's a presence on the pitch, but he's not going to yell at people, but he's very, very clear. I want it at this point. If you're in that position, put it to my feet here, put it on my head here. You know, if, uh, and, and actually he did uh, a good job with Knockhart. Um, and I think it was March on the other side who both played as inside out, but he would give them instruction about look, look at that point, you want it in swinging or you want it just ahead of me. So this is where I'm going to put my head on it. And just saw him doing all that all over the pitch, um, just just getting the best out of uh, people who weren't necessarily delivering all the time. In fact, it was Kazenga Luwalawa on the other side as well. All, you know, hustle, bustle, inside out wingers, turn and shoot every single second they could. And yet he was smart enough to say, yeah, but sometimes can you just put it on a plate for me and I'll finish it off. So I think he'll be a positive influence on uh, on the delivery, uh, which which almost seems the opposite for a striker, doesn't it? But um, but he knows what he's talking about. Hmm, that could be crucial, actually, because Graben, he's the senior player in the team. He's the team captain. Um, and yet the argument is that his body language and his how he vocalises things to his teammates, the accusation is that that's not really good enough. So if Murray's maybe a bit more assertive in that way, then that can probably be a good thing and hopefully get the best out of the lollies and knockouts and amiobis of this team. Anyway, um, we talked about Chris Hewton back in September, October time when he'd not long joined us. So uh, one of the questions there is thinking about Hewton. Uh, one thing that we've noticed and been a little bit disappointed by is tactically and in terms of his team selection, he has been a little bit conservative and a little bit rigid. Um, do you think that's just what he's doing while he's working with someone else's squad that's in trouble? And do you think that, you know, if we do manage to get out of trouble, we can look forward to something a bit different next season? I remember we talked about it and um, <clears throat> you uh, asked me if I thought you could get promotion this season. And uh, I, I, you know, don't want to say I told you so, but uh, I didn't think you would. And and the reason for that is, uh, I think, yeah, he he does start conservative, and I uh, said he'd he'd make you solid this year. And I have been keeping an eye on the results, and um, I I think overall you seem to be getting better, as in just just yeah, a bit more solid. There were some not very attractive looking losses early in the the tenure. Um. So I, I think that, uh, yeah, you know, my expectation has been proved right that he will just be, um, you know, keeping it steady for a while. But he does need to have time with the players that he's going to have. And he, he does need to, to pick his best team. And that, that just will take time. So, I yeah, I'm not overly surprised that, that, that you're not pulling up trees at the moment. Um, but, yeah, have confidence that, uh, though, you know, you'll start with a conservative base, uh, there will be, um, yeah, the, the, there will be brighter things going ahead. As I said to you back in September, I think the the greatest threat to, to Forest actually under Hutton is Forest themselves. Is the is the uh, you know the chairman and the ownership are they going to give him the time uh, that I think um, he'll produce results in, which which may which won't be this year certainly, might not even be the year after, but uh, but I think you know enough time um, he he could get you promoted, yeah. Stephen, do you just want to give us a little bit of a summary of the players who have come in this January? So the first big signing of the window for us was Filip Kravinovic coming in on loan from Benfica. And we knew him more from his time at West Brom. He was on, the, on loan to them last season and was a regular in their championship team as they won promotion. Um, featured a few times in the Premier League, but uh, obviously didn't quite make the step up and uh, he ended up back at Benfica and obviously came to Forest off the back of that. And then James Garner, young midfielder on loan for Manchester United, who'd been at Watford earlier in the season. 
And then we've mentioned him already, Glenn Murray, coming in on a short-term deal. He'd also been on loan at Watford earlier in the season. And then he was already a Forest player, but I suppose it counts as a transfer. Cafu making his transfer permanent from Olympiacos rather than on loan. Crucial thing of that, of course, freeing up a loan space in the squad. And, of course, we should add in there that Anthony Knockhart's loan spell, which was initially until January, has been extended for the rest of the season. Um, So that issue about providing service, uh, George, it seems as though Chris Hewton has identified that. By getting in Knockhart and Kravinovic and Garner, as we discussed earlier, he's trying to address that kind of, that very static nature of our midfield, the fact that there was a lack of movement and creativity. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I think it had to be done um, because there's been times this season, more often than not, where I've just, I've just watched them and I've just thought, I don't know how. Normally when a team's going through a bad run, you know how, they know what the game plan is and you know how they might score goals. I'm not, I didn't see that from Forrest. And I just don't know. I didn't know how they would score goals. So Knockout has been um, a, bit, a bit of a frustrating figure since he's joined. I think that's because we, we mainly know what he's capable of because he's been the Championship player of the season before under Hewton, so the same manager who's brought him in here. Um, I really like Anthony Knockout, to be honest. I think he's every time he gets on the ball, it looks like he's going to do something. And I think you can set up for, you can't set up too many players, to be honest. And then, obviously, Kravinovic has come in, and I think creativity was desperately missing through the midfield. Um, and he's come in, and especially against Barnsley as well. We showed he can pick up pockets of space and the balls he put through. I think he put in a great uh, free ball to Knockhart when they went one-on-one and squared it to an offside grab him. But, um, and Garner as well. I think we've missed someone in midfield I think this season we've missed a midfielder who can actually dictate play. Um, Yates has tried to, Sambaso has tried to, but I think Garner last night, I know it's only one game, but he looks like a player who can play, dictate play, spread it either, to either flank and, and, and play in between the thirds. And he's got an excellent passing range on him. And I think it's clear to see that it's probably come for a club like Manchester United where brilliant on the ball, but fiery off it. So all three good attacking uh, and creative options there. And I think much needed as well. And I think with Garner there, in terms of what we saw uh, last night, to be honest, is he's opposite end of the spectrum. But I guess those are some of the qualities that we we'd hope that Harry Arter would be able to bring. But obviously, he's struggled for fitness and form, hasn't he? Yeah, um, he has, and I think it's it's, it's disappointing actually because I think when Arter first came, he showed signs of a good player, um, but it just hasn't worked out for him. Obviously, we see reports. Uh, about him potentially leaving in January. It's my understanding that he was offered to a club on loan, but they just couldn't afford his salary, which suggests he's probably one of the higher earning players. But um, no, I, I think Hewton. I think Hewton likes Garner from what I've heard of him because he plays with a very mature head uh, on his shoulders. And I think as well, it's not as if we just signed him from United's academy. He's had a good. He's played a decent amount of games for Watford this season. He hasn't got too many starts, but. I think he's still got 11 starts. So it's not as if he's a a new kid on the block. He's got experience. He he can cope with the rough and tumble of the league, I think. So um, he's turned into a much younger um, alternative to to Arter in that respect, yeah. And um, just on the topic of Garner there, you know, the word was that... uh, he left Watford and was recalled by United because they wanted to send him out somewhere where he'd get more regular game time. So, again, it suggests that Hewton has really invested in him um, in terms of signing him to say, yeah, we're going to play you. We want you to be a big part of this team. Yeah, I think he's another player who is a Hewton sign, which is, I think it's very clear that um, and he, he, the way he speaks, he speaks very highly of him. So I think he'll be a big player. I really do. I think he, if he stays fit, he'll probably start every single game. Um, he's not just a, a defensive midfielder. He can, he can play slightly further forward and play an eight or, you know, he's very versatile in that respect. So I think Forrest picked up a good, a good player there. So it's, it's more a case of who probably plays alongside him more than who, who plays instead of him. Um, you know, you've got Ryan Yates who, is obviously out injured at the minute. Sambasau um, out injured, and Cafu's not done too bad since dropping a bit deeper. So um, that's an interesting topic to to be uh, to discuss as well. Mm. Just before we move on, um, just the last thing on Harry Arter. So yeah, there was a little bit of a rumor that there he may have been, uh, you know, they may have been looking to move him on at least on loan. Presumably, part of that is to get his fitness up again because he struggled with that. 
But there was also a rumour that I don't want to go too deeply into, but um, you know the one I'm talking about, I can tell by the look on your face, about Harry Arter and his potential involvement in the breaking down of another potential transfer, uh, that of Dan Gosling from Bournemouth. Now, without going into too much detail, because I don't want to give it too much credibility, um, these are things that are just Chinese whispers started by blokes on the internet, aren't they? Um, so in terms of how the club handle it, in terms of how you as, as a journalist handles it, I mean, the interesting one was that when there's the rumour about the club being up for sale, which again, seemed to be a bloke on the internet and it just gathered pace, the club actually pretty swiftly issued a statement saying, no, that is not true. The club is not up for sale. Um, what do you make of these kinds of things, George? And how do you think the club respond to these kinds of things? I think it's probably the nature of the beast in, in terms of social media nowadays, to be honest. I think it only takes a, a few um, tweets from someone who's got a fair, decent amount of followers and, you know, it, it starts a whole new thing. I think I think the club had to probably come out and, um, you know, squash them rooms like the, the ownership because it's quite a serious matter, the whole, the whole club being up for sale. So um, I don't think they'd... The way I see it, I think anything off-field like that is very serious and should be, you know, squashed straight away. But I think in terms of players, I think player speculation happens every single day. It's not every single day you hear about a club up for sale. It's probably the first time I've ever, uh, you know, in a while this has been mentioned, the ownership. So, um, no, as you said, the Arta, the Arta thing uh, and, the, and the Goslin, sorry, saga, um, I think it's just... I think he just wants to play in the Premier League, and that's that's the way I understand it. He he, he didn't want to come to Forest because let's face it, they're not going to play in the Premier League next year. No, it's it's interesting, but I know I think we all know we take that with a pinch of salt with a lot of things. But but crucially, he seemed to be a player that, that Chris Hutton seemed to be interested in. So so Tom, moving on to that, um, before we move on to the you know move on from the players who've come in. It does seem as though from the signings we've made there, the likes of Garner in particular and Murray in particular, it seems as though the strategy from the club is to give Gary Brazil and Chris Hutton a little bit more say in how things are operating the transfer market. And just for, for the listener out there, you can't see it, but George is nodding his head as well. Um, so Tom, as a fan, is that something that gives you some reassurance and does it give you some reassurance as well that maybe the club are starting to think in a strategic manner? Um, definitely, because it, it can't be good for any manager who says, well, I want this player, but says, oh, oh actually, can, what about this player who we've like, got from the continent or wherever? So I think, um, first and foremost, the uh, manager should have a huge say on who he wants. And plus, it's his final say. And I think it's very reassuring. Because in the past, it's been a matter of, um, oh, there's going to be a player from Olympiacos or there's going to be a player from the continent. And it's like, if I mean, it's bitter like a cutthroat um, league, the championship. You've got to get to grips pretty quick or you found out pretty quickly. And so with um, Hewton being given the um, responsibility of having players who he wants, it's a massive positive going forward and going into next season that he can actually build a team, what he wants, rather than somebody building it for him. And it's like, oh, I don't fancy this player. Then at the end of the day, if that team doesn't gel or whatever, it's the manager who's in the firing line. So I think, yeah, it's massive um, that Hewton's um, been given what looks like uh, the free reign of um, having a say on who he wants at the club. And uh, just before we move on to Stephen on that one, Tom, um, two words for you, Kamal Grisicki, discuss. <laughs> Um, I quite like him, but it's a bit, it's a bit of a strange one because one minute he's like he's out of favour at West Brom, then you turn on like Match of the Day or Sky Sports, or whatever, and there he is. So I think that ship sailed now, really. And I think it, if he wanted to come or it was going to happen, it would have been um, done in the early weeks of January. So Stephen, um, on a similar topic, um, look, like so many fans, we've been quite critical on here about. Um, about how the club has displayed an absolute lack of strategic thinking with those 70-odd transfers in, what, three and a half, four years now. Um, are there signs that the club have learnt from those mistakes? Um, first of all, giving Gavri Brazil more control over player recruitment and sort of overseeing things on a wider level. 
I think was was a positive move. And then it does seem when you look at these transfers that they are Chris Hewton signings and the kind of players that he was looking for to improve the team. And, it, and I think in a lot of ways, the fans would have looked at these kind of signings as well and said, yep, yeah, those are the kind of players we need to bring in to make us stronger for the for the second half of the season. So I would hope as well that appointing somebody like Chris Hewton with his record and with his knowledge of the game, that would mean that the club would give him the opportunity to do the job and they wouldn't just foister players upon him and, and, and overrule him with recruitment or, or selection decisions. So with that in mind, yeah, I think it's been a very positive transfer window and there are signs there that the club as a whole is learning from mistakes that have been made before because, let's be honest about it, 70 players coming in from all over the place under different managers, it's just not sustainable and we've seen that. And if we just move on to um, the fact that the squad is, is still too big. So the club have moved some players on, um, not just over the last month, but they had started doing so. We'd seen, for example, um, a few players whose, whose contracts were cancelled, enabling them to move in, move on. So uh, Ben Lawan, for example, um, over January, we've seen Tendai Dariqua uh, move on, which is, I think we all agree is a real shame, not just because he's a local lad who's playing for his boyhood club, also it's just a sign that you know it's not you can be unlucky to get injured and then you can be unlucky to not get your place back after injury um I think he's a victim of circumstance there uh Zach Clough I mean one of the infamous bomb squad and it means that as far as I can tell I think Michael Heffel is the only one who's left from from the kind of the core bomb squads that we've seen um and then, of course, uh, we've got other players who, who are, you know, out on loan and we're unlikely to see coming back. So, um, you know, the obvious one is Joao Carvalho, but Nuno da Costa, who obviously wasn't playing for Coventry, because you can tell that from the fact that the commentary was saying, yeah, da Costa goes down the wing and he's looking dangerous. Um, so we've got those players who have, who have moved on. Albert Adoma is another good example. Um, We've also sent Will Swan out on loan. We've also sent uh, Nicholas Yanu out on loan. And um, Miguel Angel Guerrero has left. So that's another one that's mysterious. He comes here for six months, disappears. We might have lost money. We might have made a profit. No one will ever know. Um, but is it a problem that the squad's still too big? There is still work to do. Um, you look at some of those names you've just mentioned, they don't, doesn't seem like they, they're going to have a, get a, a sustained chance in the first team. So yes, there's still work to do, but this is what happens when you, when you have a scattergun recruitment policy or you change managers regularly and each manager brings in his own players and moves out others. You're going to end up with this bloated squad and these players have not, shown enough to make other clubs want to pick them up either that the ones who've played this season haven't covered themselves in glory and obviously the likes of Heffler hasn't even been in the team for for I don't know how long so you know he's not in a he's not putting himself in the shop window shall we say um I just hope that one of the I just hope that a reason Hewton is also given time is to mould his own squad and trim a lot of the fat and just have a squad and a core group of players that he works with and he doesn't have to worry about the likes of Heffler or Clough or players like that who've just been hanging around the club picking up a wage and not playing. Um, I just want to add into that um, and it's to do with the strategic um, plan. We've been, uh, there's been a case of fires for 22 years now since we was last in the Premier League. Next year is going to be our year. Next year is going to be our year, and we've got to we keep like basically just I can just ignoring seasons, so to speak. Says, all oh, right, we'll uh, we'll have a good couple of windows, then it's back to the reset button. We've got to stop doing that because we've got to give Chris Hutton a chance now to, like Stephen's just said, bold his squad together, trim this uh, squad, and obviously move forward. We can't keep saying. Oh, in six months, let's have another manager and press the reset button again because we've wasted 22 years, I'd say. And you're going to lose a generation of fans who are basically saying, I'm getting 
you know, like kids who are um, teenager who are going to basically say, I've had enough of this. We need to start planning now rather than just like having a stupid turnaround of players, managers and getting nowhere with it. So just briefly on that, Tom, is there a club that you'd like to see us use as a positive example of how to do that? I think Brentford's the, the actual blueprint. They've had, a, they've had a plan over the last few years, but having said that, they've, they've had a plan, but they're still in the same um, division for the last... They've had a good go at it, but they've not actually got out. Um, so I think we need to create our actually own blueprint, what do we actually believe in, and actually start it and actually finish it. And hopefully by finishing, that means getting out of this league but going upwards rather than downwards. Worth pointing out that Brentford's position with regard to FFP is probably significantly more healthy than Forrest's, though. So. Yeah, definitely. Um, George, uh, you know, so we've had players in, we've had players out. Um, are there any indications about, you know, who's in the 25-man squad? Because it doesn't matter how many players you've got available at the club, you can only have 25 senior players in that squad. So we've seen... Last night, Tyler Blackett and Jack Colback have, have come back in. Uh, we have indications that Harry Arter is still part of the squad. Um, notably, Basharu and Dawson uh, weren't on the bench last night. Is there a sign that, you know, Hewton's having to select around certain... There's going to be, still going to be disappointed players, aren't there? Yeah, definitely. And I think that's, obviously, as you said, it's, that's the drawbacks of having such a big squad. Um, I think it's been well reported by Paul Taylor, to be honest, and it's Manston also that... Forest kind of treats it as if who's fit and they register, register a new squad every single match day. So um, I think it's I think it's clear to see that uh, Diallo is not in the match day squad because he's just I've not even seen him in the pre-match warm up since he's joined the club. So um, and you know the, I think Dawson struggled with injuries this year, but um, I know I, I love Dawson. I think he's brilliant. But is it a bad thing having a 35 year old defender out of the squad when he's not fit and there's opportunity to? To, to bleed other people, I'm, I'm not too sure. And I think obviously it's worth mentioning also that uh, under-21s don't have to be included. So obviously Lower Kemperso and Alex Martin don't have to be included in that. I think the rule's different for lone players. So even though Garner is under-21, um, a lone player still takes up a squad. I think that's my understanding anyway. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the club deserve credit in some ways for January and getting players out the door because although 10 didn't leave, there was still... You know, you look at Zach Clough, for instance, he didn't play for three years at Forest and it just kind of felt like he was never going to leave. And at least he managed to recuperate some sort of fee for him. Probably, admittedly, not a lot because it's Wigan and they might well be paying some of his wages still. But, um, you know, getting players who aren't in Hewton's plans and getting, allowing him to get his shipping order is positive. And, of course, I don't, I, I'd like to make a prediction in, in that I don't think any out-of-contract players at the end of this season will probably get offered a new deal. Dawson, so... Heffler certainly won't. Uh, I've seen whispers that Ribeiro or rumours that Ribeiro might be out of contract. I think that might be the case. Um, if he, if, if Gaetan Bong cements his place in the team between now and the, end of the season, will Yuri probably get another contract? I'm probably not too sure. And, and of course, one of the questions there, we think that Yuri's out of contract. If he is out of contract and he's allowed to leave and bearing in mind he's almost shipped out in the summer, um, do you think Nicholas Yanu might come back you know, to stake a claim as, as the left-back? I think that, well, that's the purpose of a loan spell, I guess. I mean, he seems, by all accounts, to be doing quite well in um, in Greece for Aris. And um, I follow his mum on Twitter, actually, and she um, posts a lot about him. And he's doing well. I think I, feel, I felt sorry for him when he did leave because he's one of them players who he obviously played in the first game at Bristol City um, on the Sabre and then played the next couple of games under Hewton. And that red card at, uh, at Luton, um, was was harsh, and in that time, Ribeiro came in um, out the out the cold and did well. And it came to the point where Yanu has got to play football, and obviously he left. So um, I really liked him when he was the brief spell he was here. He looked the first thing I noted was that his left foot and his crossing was just superb. And obviously, we need to see a lot more of him consistently to prove he can be first choice left back. But if he does well in Aris, uh, sorry, in Greece for Aris, and uh, yeah, does well over there. Who knows? Um, I certainly don't think Bong will be first choice next season because he's getting older and he might be a good squad player, but um, it's one for debate. But Gerard Carvalho is always going to be a, a source of debate. Um, I think we can all agree that the transfer fee was at least double what it should have been for a player of his experience um, and at the level that we're at. I think we can also all agree that he's been really hard done by, by the club. Um, 
do you get any indication about what Chris Hewton feels about the lad? I believe, my indication in, in January was that there was no recall for him. Um, they weren't planning on it. The only person who were potentially considering was Brennan Johnson, and obviously that didn't happen. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a catch on too, because if he does, and he seems to be doing well over there in Spain, if he does do well, then Almeria have got the option to buy. Um, they haven't got an obligation, but the option is there. So if he does well, would be mad, depending on the fee, if they can afford it, it'd be mad not to sign him if he's ever played as well. It's the same with Knockhart. If he was available at a cheap price and he's doing brilliant, then obviously you're going to snap up in the summer who got the option too. So, you know, Carvalho is a player who will, you know, divide opinions for until the cars come home. Um, Mike, we all agree here, and probably a lot of people on social media, is that he didn't get... When you pay that much money for a player, £13 million, you've got to show him a bit of love. And OK, he did have his chances to impress, but I'd argue not enough. And I'd also argue that we didn't play to his strengths. And when you uh, sign a player, particularly in that position, you've got to build a team around him and in order to get the best out of him. So um, it's, a, it's a tough one, really. And uh, as as we had in our conversation with Rick, talking about Glenn Murray, is that it when Rick talks about the kind of play that Glenn Murray thrives off and you think, well, so does Lewis Grab and so do most centre forwards. And the thing that he mentioned was... You know, you need a, you need an attacking midfielder, a number ten, and and with Thiago Silva moving on and Joao Carvalho, we that's why we've needed to sign Kravinovic and Luana because they've got that speed of thought um, that that we have lacked since Silva and Carvalho have not been around. Um, Stephen, just um, briefly, um, do you feel more optimistic about? what Forest's direction is going to be, thinking about the fact there's likely to be more players leaving and obviously some of the players we've got in us, we've got five loanies and so on. Um, do you feel a little bit of optimism there or do you think it's just a case of let's worry about that when we get to the summer? Uh, there, there are elements of that that we can worry about in the summer, but I think the signs from this window have been positive. In, in, I know we were in a different position this time last year, but if you compare this January window to the one previously, I'd, I would argue that Forest, given their position, have actually performed better in this January transfer window. They've strengthened the team and they've addressed areas that needed looking at, as well as moving on players who are not going to feature. So if that continues into the summer and beyond, then I'd feel a lot more positive about the recruitment and the whole direction that the club is heading in. And uh, it says something when the success story of last January's transfer window was Guy Tan Bong. Tom, uh, just to finish off tonight, um, one thing that I, um, you know, we talked about strategy and we talked about the success of the club. One of the things I, th I think is a reasonable thing to raise as a possible criticism about the club with that scattergun approach to transfers it's not necessarily a very nice way to treat people is it so i'm going to use Raul carvalho as the example he's a player who apparently was settled in nottingham he's taken to uh, you know he, he learned english pretty quickly his partner has obviously set up her, her fashion boutique and then with lockdown underway he's been frozen at the club um, he's been sent away to live in another country away from his partner during lockdown when travel is difficult and he's got to, you know, find a new life by himself. Is that the way that the club that we support should be treating human beings regardless of the price tag on the head? Um, no. Um, I mean, we all know football is a ruthless business, um, but people do like do things like it's just a matter of, I kind, of, I kind of put it in the best terms. I think they try and do what's best and then don't realise the repercussions until it's been done and dusted. And I think it's just like, in the past, the club have made some decisions which have been a bit odd. But it's just, yeah, like I say, it's just one of those things that I wouldn't treat a person like that. But football's, it does rear its ugly, ugly head. Um, and it's like how how they treat people is completely different how somebody else will treat them. So I think it's a bit harsh. I think, um, like like you say, he uh, talked all well with uh, life in Nottingham and his family looked like they were settled here. Then in the next breath, there you go, there you're going to Spain. So yeah, it's ruthless, and um, but football doesn't surprise me anymore of how people are treated and what happens in football. So 
it's incredibly harsh for you know how they, how it's been treated, but not surprising in my eyes, unfortunately. Okay, and there we have to leave it. Football, nothing surprises you in football. Okay, so um, I say a big thank you to Tom Newton, to Stephen Topless, and George, uh, once again, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to chat again in the future. So keep it tuned to the 1865 Forest Ramble. Thank you for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network.